0: Welcome. You are locked on at the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engsted, media member at MavsMoneyBall.com, and I am joined by the editor, editor-in-chief of MavsMoneyBall.com. Yeah. Mavs I didn't know if the chief went, still went with the name or not. I don't know how that works. Yeah.
1: But. Makes me sound fancy. It's fine.
0: <laughs> Rebecca Lawson is joining me. Uh, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to join you guys today.
0: What is the weather like where you are?
1: Um, so, I live in San Diego. Ugh. It is raining today, believe it or not. No!
0: How dare it rain in San Diego?
1: So, so, like, one day a year. You catch me on a bad weather day. But, no, it's normally 75 and sunny, so I have very few complaints about living in Southern California.
0: Oh, I bet. That would just be so awesome. Yeah. Everybody listening is now like, oh, your Laker fandom is showing. But <laughs> <laughs> So, no. I wanted to bring you on um, just... Full disclosure for all the listeners: Isaac, you know, works for mavs. and so he just has some some things that he just, he can't talk about, some some places that he can't go in conversations that I, I still think we need to talk about as far as everything that's going on with the Mavericks right now, where it's uh, the the thing, the Earl K. Sneed thing. There's just conflicts with Isaac as far as he's too close to the situation with certain things, and as far as he's uh, you know, just not able to talk about things. It doesn't feel comfortable talking about things. So I wanted to bring on somebody, you know, that, that I obviously respect their opinion and want to discuss all this further that we can actually go to these different places. So that is why Rebecca's on, on with me today. Uh, Isaac will be joining me. I think we're going to do another episode just talking completely basketball. So if you guys are not interested in this stuff, a basketball-only episode will be coming out in a couple hours or so. So
1: They can hear all your Lakers takes there. <laughs>
0: Isaac makes fun of me for it, so so uh, they will. So, Rebecca, let's get right into it. And uh, if you guys don't know everything that's going on with this, Mavs Moneyball has done a really, really good job of covering it. Um, There is a a whole timeline of events. I'm actually looking at it right now. Timeline of events following the Sports Illustrated Mavs report. So there's a report that came out that uh, members of the Mavs organization had been uh accused and you know charged of, of different things sexual uh, harassment and uh and assault and different things like that and so i mean it's just been like skin wade tweeted this yesterday he said guys aren't you all just exhausted <laughs> <I'm> Like, yeah <laughs> i don't know what it is none of this is even happening to me but it, somehow it feels like it doesn't it feel like to you that this is like we've all just gone through this
1: it's been it's been very creepy and very eerie, and I almost feel like it's been such an out of body experience because all of this information yeah. has come out about this franchise that you know I've been a fan of for a number of years. I've covered them as a credentialed reporter, um, you know, and I'm still like my heart is with Dirk and all of the players who apparently really had nothing to do with this or no knowledge of it. But it's just been such an out of body experience to see this team that I love and that I religiously watch every game and that I. You know, to have talked to the players and talked to the coaches and those kinds of things. Be accused of something that's this horrible, and it is really horrible. I'm just sickened that this is the franchise that I support, and it's it's been a hard thing for me to reconcile in the last few days.
0: Yeah, it, the out of body experience is, is an interesting way to put it. And then the the players' comment is 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 so true. When we first did our our whole like reaction, almost real time in the last episode of Locked On. We, I said the the one good thing out of all of this, if there could be any good thing, is that in that article it mentioned that the locker room, as far as the player side and the basketball side, was kind of like a safe haven for people. And yeah. that this had nothing to do with any of the players. And the players, you know, by all intents and purposes, had been, you know, had treated people really well. And it had been upstanding guys. And that's kind of who the, the Mavericks bring in. And so it's just, it's so weird that it's the opposite on the other side almost. <laughs> like on the on the business side, you'd think that, you know, like that they would take the same approach as they did the basketball side, and apparently they didn't. Because can you imagine if a player did like what Earl K. Sneed, you know, was charged with, and if, oh th- if they brought him back, it would just like it would just never, <laughs> it would never fly.
1: No, and the media would be all over it, and he would be, you know, he would be cut from the team or at least suspended for a while, and there would be massive consequences. I'm sure under the CBA, there's stuff about that. And, you know, and obviously Adam Silver has plenty of power to do whatever he wants in some of these situations. But to just to just know that there's a whole other side of the organization, and I've always known that there's another side of the organization because you need people in marketing and people in business and people and, you know, all of those sides of the organization to run the organization. But you just never really think that, you know, the culture would be any different because you're living the day to day. You know, I've I spent two whole seasons where I went to almost every home game and I never, you know, you hear stories about women in locker rooms and, you know, harassment and things like that. I never felt like them in the Mavs locker room. I mean, their director of communications is a woman. They have a lot of female reporters who cover the team. And I never felt like the locker room was an unwelcome place for me. And, you know, contrary to a lot of other stories you hear. So to just to hear that this is such the opposite thing on the business side, just, is so strange to me.
0: Yeah. That, that, that idea of you being in the locker room is, is interesting to me as, as a female. Cause I just have no like frame of reference of what that would be like. Um, as far as, okay. So in the locker room, you, you've been there, you covered it, you know, there for, for two year two whole years. That's it, mm-hmm. as long as I have essentially. Yeah. And, uh, did and you? I
1: still, I still go to the games in L.A. too, so I don't. Right. You know, and you were at
0: I, you were at a couple games this year with us too.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But it's just a hard question to frame. But did you have any idea of all you know the the Earl K. needs side of this? And you've had interactions with him. I'm sure you know. I've had a lot of interactions with him. I, I didn't even want to mention it at the at you know when this first came out because I just wanted to sort through all of it first before. Um, sure. did, did you have any idea any of this?
1: No, I really didn't, and you know. Earl has been a very, he's, he's been a nice person to me in terms of just, you know, I I got to know him over the two years that I covered the team when I lived in Dallas. And then, you know, he was really great to me when I would, you know, come out to games in Los Angeles in terms of just kind of showing me where things were. And, you know, I mean, we were never close friends or anything like that, but he was always someone who I just, you know, I found him to be very helpful, very congenial. Um, You know, I, I would have had no idea. He's a little, you know. A little cocky, a little bit. He's got a little swagger to him and a little bit of, yeah, you know, <laughs> I know I'm a reporter for a, you know, NBA team and, you know, but like who wouldn't have that, I think, at a certain point. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it when to have those kinds of allegations come out or just were frankly very surprising to me. So I think the MABs in, in general, you know, obviously things have come out that, you know, Cuban and the rest and some people on the team did know about these um, domestic violence incidences. And it's just, it's again, like not to use the out of body experience thing again, but it's just, it's such a strange contrast See, the person that I knew who was always so nice to me and so helpful to me. And then, you know, to know that I worked side by side with a person who was essentially a lie for, you know, a number of years, it's, you know, it's disgusting to me that I was, I, I had befriended a person who would do this to women behind, you know, in his free time, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that idea is, it's tough. It's tough to grapple with because then does it create in you now just sort of an, an uneasy feeling like, okay, what else, you know, what else is not being told? What else is, is, is there that like, we have no idea now you don't want to start like naming names or questioning, you know, certain people, but like, I don't know. It's just now once, once, hidden things have become uncovered. Then it's like, okay, what else is under there? Like, like what else is going on? And they're doing an investigation right now. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been suggested that they do an investigation through the whole league by, by people.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and it's just, I, I don't know what we're going to find, what else we're going to find. But do you think that this is just, you know, the smoke that we're going to find the fire later? Or do you think this is kind of all it's going to be for the Mavericks? It's, that's a hard question, but
1: it's a hard question, but I think it's one worth asking because, it kind of goes to the whole concept. I know you were going to ask me about this later, but I feel like it's kind of going there. It kind of goes to the whole, it kind of goes to the whole concept of company culture and you know what, to what extent you're employing people who define that company culture for you. And so for me to find out, you know, I've always, I've been very fortunate and I've always worked for companies that have a great company cultures and to find out that a company that, you know, if you refer to the Mavericks as kind of a company, to find out that a company that I, you know, was essentially, I wouldn't say, it. I mean, I didn't work for them, obviously, but I was adjacent to them the whole this, this whole time. And to find out that they're employing people who don't fit with that culture that they're putting out there publicly is very disconcerting. And so it really does kind of make you wonder, what else are they hiding? And I'm not suggesting that they are hiding anything else. I mean, I do believe Mark Cuban when he says that you know, we chose to handle this internally and that was a bad decision, but
0: <laughs> Yeah, because they obviously did that. I mean right. like, just the I internal mean, the side of it. it was a
1: bad decision for them to handle it internally is frankly because yeah. they got caught. Like, let's be real. Because otherwise, like, why does Earl lose his job suddenly? If it's, you know, he didn't do anything new. This was old stuff.
0: Right. Well, there's there's almost, to me, in this whole scenario, it almost seems like a not an out of sight, out of mind situation, but, but close to that where it's like, it's, it had been so long. I mean, I think the last, wasn't the last report, you know, from Earl was like 2011. That was like the second time that all, that all of this happened.
1: I remember. I think there was, I think there was like a 2014 thing too. I think it was like 2012 and then a 2014 thing.
0: Even still that's four years ago. Still, I mean, that's I, four <laughs> years. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's, you know, and it, it does make you wonder like, well, if that's how they chose to handle that situation what other choices are they making about other situations internally? And maybe Mark is aware of them and maybe he's not. There's been a lot of online discussion that I've seen about, well, how involved was he really in the business side and how aware could he have been about any of this stuff? But, you know, I keep going back to the whole Earl situation and saying, like, well, he was aware of that. And that's bad enough, because if you are knowingly choosing to take someone who has been accused of domestic violence who, you know, is infecting your company culture with that by just their very presence. Because, you know, there was another team employee involved in one of those situations. He did get arrested on team property. So clearly his personal life is infecting the team at a certain level. Yeah. And, you know, it does interfere with his job performance because apparently he couldn't travel with the team to Toronto. And so it's just, it really does kind of make you wonder about who's making these decisions and... You know, should you be questioning that? And so when Mark, you know, finds out these kinds of things, and obviously he knew about Earl because he's admitted it, you know, why aren't you questioning other things in your organization at that point? And it seems like they just kind of gave him a pass, and that's very disappointing.
0: It is. It, it's it's super disappointing. And the idea of of, of of company culture and the idea we've we've batted this around a lot today on on the Maps Moneyball Slack is that that. You represent your, your company and your company represents you in a, in a way like you, like you put, like, we all do this. I mean, I, you know, represent Mavs Moneyball in a way because I put it on my Twitter feed. I put it on my, you know, my Facebook, my Instagram, like it's all just there in my bio. That's like almost, it's like the physical embodiment of, of what, you know, you do when you represent a, a company, a team, you know, anything like all these players, they represent the, you know, this organization they represent the city of Dallas like they, re- they represent all these things and it's the same exact way on the business side and so for anybody that we've seen this a couple times in comments on our site is that they say well whatever you do outside of work you know doesn't you know doesn't matter you should be able to do whatever you want in your personal life and it doesn't matter well obviously like Rebecca said this affected you know work and this bled into work but if it had just happened you know if it was just the first incident that happened with Earl and it didn't necessarily bleed into the into the company then you still do reflect the organization and you still do reflect that company and it's still, you know, inexcusable and it's, and it looks bad on the company the exact same way that, you know, if, if this happened to a player, everybody would be up in arms about it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there is a line to be drawn to, you know, there, there have been people in the comments kind of on our side today, trying to make the point of like, well, your personal life is your personal life. And as long as you're doing your job,
0: you know, that shouldn't,
1: that shouldn't affect things. And I, and I disagree with that because, there is a certain point at which, well, first of all, there's a certain point at which, you know, companies want to hire good people. And if outside of your job, you are not a good person, I feel like that is eventually going to bleed into your job in some way, shape or form, whether it's, you know, whether it's cutting out, cutting off a coworker in a meeting, or whether it's just not having that spirit of collaboration around a team project or something like that. But irrespective of that, I mean, they're obviously the The lines that you don't cross in terms of hiring, like, you know, sexual orientation and gender and, you know, in terms of like, quote unquote, things people do outside of the office. But in terms of just having people who work for you that reflect the culture that you want to keep, I mean, and there's a lot of companies that have, you know, codes of ethical codes of conduct that you have to follow. I mean, I work for a company right now that if there are certain things that if I did them in my personal life and they found out, I'd be fired in an instant. And, you know, I'm I'm, and I respect that because I want to work for a company where the culture is ethical and where it treats women well and where things like this are looked at. You know, I don't want to say on a case by case basis, but they have to be looked at both on a case by case basis and as a broader part of the organization, because mm-hmm. the point's been made that, hey, like. Yes. Maybe for the first incident, okay, well, you go look at the police report and you do kind of an internal investigation and decide, is this a person who made a mistake? And we're going to give them a pass and set up some rules and see if they don't make that mistake again, which I think is fine. Everyone deserves a second chance. But once they do it a second time, that's a pattern. And, you know... So it's just – I'm all for second chances, but I think in certain cases and especially like this one, if it's something like domestic violence that's just going to be a poor example to the female employees in your company, I think you do have to just unfortunately decide that that's not something you want in your company culture.
0: And something else about this that that made it so bad on on the Earl side of things is that he was a forward-facing employee. He was a guy that was on all of their social media feeds. He was a guy that they – you know. Put on all their videos. He was on their site all the time. He represented the organization at events. Like this is literally, I mean, he's
1: one of the most visible people in the organization outside yeah.
0: of players. Yeah, outside outside of Cuban, the players, and maybe Carlisle. Like he is, yeah. he is, you know, probably the most visible of all right. of them. Donnie Nelson, I guess maybe, but even him. I mean, I've, I I think I've seen Earl on things more than Donnie Nelson. So, <laughs> yeah. and the, the other thing, and uh, the other thing about this that that almost like. And I'm just going to be honest with the listeners, like almost offends me and almost makes me like even more angry about the situation is that it's not like, you know, it's not like he was an irreplaceable employee either. You know, it's not like like what he was bringing to the table or whether the job that he was doing could not have been done by probably everybody on our site.
1: (laughs) He's Not that low. Let's put it that way. Like, he's not, you know, he's not Zach Lowe, he's not Lee Jenkins, like, he's not out there writing amazing pieces of sports journalism every day. Like, again, I liked Earl, and I respected the work that he did. But in in reality, it's work that I could have done, it's work that you could have done, it's work that anyone who is, you know, a decent writer for a decent blog could have done. So it's, it's not like there was anything special about him that was keeping him with the team, that was preventing them from replacing his position, so...
0: And maybe maybe there was a sense for Cuban that because I've been I've been trying to think about like what was he thinking and what was the mindset of, of Mark Cuban when he decided when he made this decision to, you know, to keep him on is that right. Earl was he was the first one to do this for for a team you know he was the first one to become like a beat writer for the for the team you know it's it's kind of a an interesting situation and so maybe there was like this well we were first to get this and so i gotta hold on to this you know i I have to hold on to something and and, because cuban is so like forward thinking he wants to do the next thing he wants to do the next thing and if he kind of gives up on that guy then it looks like you know like then i don't know just a a piece of of his um i don't know just a a piece of what he had done that was different and that actually you know worked would be would be gone
1: (laughs) The other thing I've really I've heard and, you know, again, this is all kind of secondhand information and things I've pieced together from just people around the team. But one of the things I've heard is that Mark is extremely loyal to his employees. And so I think there was also probably a sense of, you know, okay, well, he's the first time this guy made a mistake. Let's see how we can help him. And again, I'm all for second chances. But I do wonder what was going through his head the second time because he has daughters like yeah, how, yeah. how do you how do you think that something like signing a contract to not be around female employees isn't going to be a toxic thing for your workplace? Or is a good person that you want to have around your team and as an example to your female employees as, you know, hey, this is the kind of person that we that we condone having in the workplace and that you should feel safe around, like just because we had him sign a contract. So it's, you know. It's just there's so many things about it that, you know, I I want to like Mark and I want to believe that he doesn't have bad intentions here, but he messed up and he messed up in a really big way. And it's going to take a lot for it's going to take a lot of coming back from that to earn the trust back of people like me and people who are, you know, around the team and in depth with the team the way I am and the way a lot of us female journalists are.
0: That's another point that's been really difficult for me over the last couple of days is that Mark Cuban was – and I I was talking to my dad the other day about this situation, and he had, like, no idea. And it's it's, sometimes it's funny to me that, like, this is such a big thing in our lives, and then, like, I could talk to somebody else, and they'd be like, oh, I had no idea that was going on. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: I don't know. It just (laughs) seems like national massive news to me. and and, then. We
1: all live and breathe the team every day, so it's it's sometimes hard to remember that – the majority of NBA fans are very casual NBA fans. And yeah. so they don't live and breathe this stuff the way that we do. And a lot of them show up for the playoffs, and a lot of them are, you know, they catch the game when it's on a national, you know, when it's on ESPN or when it's on NBA TV. And, you know, so it's, it's for us. We live and breathe these details. For the casual fan, they're you know they're maybe not as interested. So it's it's an interesting line.
0: But definitely not the listeners of this podcast. They are they are the day ones. They are the they are the live and breathe of the team. That's that's who that's who listens to this podcast. If you did
1: not know, I did know. But <laughs> it's a good distinction to make.
0: The the other thing about what what you said earlier that that I've really grappled with and had a hard time with is that Cuban to me was like. I don't know. He just seemed, he was an icon. He was like a guy that, and you know, he still is in a sense, but like, he almost seemed untouchable. Like there was just nothing he could do wrong. And he was like, I don't know. He's just this, this massive public figure. And I just, you know, agreed with him on pretty much everything that he had said. Almost, so almost. Yeah. You
1: now in a, in a sport and in a, you know, in sports in general, I feel like so many owners are so disconnected from their teams. They're, you know, not to like overuse a weird phrase, but they're like old white guys who just you know are counting their dollars <laughs> and, and not really involved with the team, and who yeah. don't really care about finding new and innovative ways to do things. And that's one of the things I always have loved about Cuban, is that he is involved sometimes a little too much, but you know we have that with Jerry Jones too and the Cowboys, so it's not always a bad thing. But you know he is interested in innovating around his team. He is interested in new and different ways to do to, of doing things, and I feel like that's that's such a breath of fresh air compared to a lot of sports franchises. So I think that's part of the big disappointment in all of this is you feel like he's a progressive owner. And then to find out that he's, you know, I mean, not to assume anything, but to find out he's essentially not any better or worse than any of these other guys in terms of thinking about how some of these decisions are going to affect women in his employment. That's, that's just, it's hard. It's kind of like watching I wouldn't call him an idol necessarily, but it's like watching one of your idols fall.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is, that's like exactly how it was for me. One thing, though, that I, I, I am a little frustrated with, with, you know, people on the internet, I've spent way too much time on Twitter the last couple of days, but... Like Mark Cuban did not do these things. He allowed these things to happen, which is almost as bad, but I, right. I've seen a lot of people react as if Mark Cuban was the one that was harassing people. If Mark Cuban was the one that had assaulted somebody, you know, it's, it's yeah. not, it's not to that level at least. And I don't know if, if you believe in the hierarchy of like things that are bad, like, like hierarchy yeah. of morality, I guess, if like certain things uh-huh. are worse than others. Yeah. Um, but,
1: and, and I do believe that he, you know, to, To kind of almost bring it back to the whole scandal to begin with, I do believe that there was some separation between what he did on the business side and what he did on the basketball side. Like all of us around the team, we know how involved he is on the basketball side. I mean, to the point of making himself available before a lot of games for comments, and, you know, like how many owners really do that? But, on on the business side, I do believe that he's not as involved. It could have been, you know, I mean, they're, they're thinking marketing initiatives, and I'm sure he gets, like, the you know, final say on some of those, and they're, you know, selling tickets, and I'm sure he doesn't care that much about that other than how it affects his bottom line. So there is a degree of separation that I believe was there between, you know, bringing in the CEO, or he didn't even bring in the CEO, it was just a holdover from previous ownership, but... Yeah you know, bringing in a CEO, having a director of HR that you're trusting to let you know when there's a problem. And so I want to believe that that separation was there and that, you know, yes, the Earl stuff was bad and he has kind of taken responsibility and ownership of that eventually. I mean, he had to kind of issue three or four statements to get it right. But, you know, to yeah. the extent, Yeah. To the extent that, you know, everyone's talking about he didn't actually do any of these things. That's I believe that. And I believe that there was some level of separation between what, you know, his CEO was doing and his director of HR were doing and the culture that they were creating and some some willful, willful ignorance, basically, of kind of what was going on over there. And so I think that's true. But I think then the question becomes, should he have known more? For someone who's so involved, like, should he have asked some more questions? Should he have seen some red flags? And the answer there is probably yes. But, you know, there's plenty of time to get that right at this point.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I've seen a lot from people is that, well, he said he you know, was was the most involved owner and so hands-on. And they bring up certain things like he you know the the guy that had the the replays on the broadcast that he called out, you know, and didn't want to do that and then all you know just bringing up certain things where he was like so hands-on and just the minutia of of everything. And w- could that could he have not been as hands-on as we thought? You know, could he have been saying that he, had, you know, just because he had done a couple of things here and there made him seem like he was super hands-on? Because you know he was at every game, so he was he was there. He like you said, he was seeing the basketball side. He was involved in that side a lot. But then the business side of it, I mean, I can imagine that that side of it just being so boring to him, just being like Ugh, another business, like, like you, yeah. know, you know what I mean, like and to not be as involved to that. So I think maybe he wasn't as involved, like you were saying, as as involved as we thought, or maybe as he even implied. Yeah. Because people are saying, "Well, we we you know we obviously have to believe that he was super evolved because that's what he said." But he also said this, so we, and we can't believe that. It's like I don't know. If it it has to be mutually exclusive in that way.
1: Yeah, and I mean that there there was some. I believe that there was some level of involvement in the business side because this is your business. How you oh, not be yeah. a business person? And you know, I actually did have a friend who once interviewed for a position with the Mavericks that would have actually reported to Usuri. Um, Mm -hmm. and she said that, you know, this is all again, like second, third hand information at this point, but she said, you know, the reason she ultimately decided not to pursue the job is because she had heard that she hadn't heard anything about, you know, sexual harassment or anything like that, but she had just heard that it was an extremely tough environment, that there were long hours. It was very demanding. And that part of the reason for that is that Cuban would occasionally come in and just kind of give some sweeping like, hey, we're going to do this today. (laughs) Everyone would have to kind of like stop what they were doing and jump on it.
0: And now we're doing this.
1: Right. And so like for him to say for us, for anyone to say that he wasn't involved in the business operations is is not true because it's his business. But, you know, there's that old adage. It's like hire good people and get out of their way. Like you know, I think his defense here is essentially that he thought he had hired good people and he thought <laughs> they were running the company the way they should be running it.
0: Yeah. He did one of those things.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but by that stretch, like if you're the owner, I think there is some level of, and I think I've said this, you know, to a few people at this point, there is some level of, Hey, you know, the buck stops with you. And so, you know, why aren't you kind of looking into these people occasionally and making sure that the CEO's job performance is good because obviously they're evaluating the job performance of people underneath them. But as the owner, you know, the buck stops with you and you need to kind of make sure that the people you're putting in these positions of trusting their judgment are people worthy of having that trust.
0: Yeah, there's two more things that I want to get to before we go. Uh, one of these, one of those is, uh, how do you think the Mavericks have handled this? The, the first night when all this dropped, it was, I mean, it, like... It was such a surreal night. I, I had someone had told me that that a bomb was gonna get dropped, like that something big was gonna happen, and so I was just kind of sitting around waiting all day for it. And yeah. then all of a sudden, Earl tweets, Earl gets that tweet or tweets that thing. He said, "Not sure what God has in store for me next, but thank you to to the Dallas Mavericks and every MFFL for seven amazing full time years. It was the best time, but all good things must must come to an end. Be blessed." So he tweets yeah. that, and I I immediately texted Isaac. I was like, "Oh my gosh, Earl! You know, Earl is gone." Like, blah blah blah. I've
1: heard, yeah.
0: And then, and then the Mavericks issued their own statement that was like that n- did not mention them by name, but mentioned that a, a former officer, which now we know is Usuri, and then uh, a, an employee that had been recently like had had been let go, and it mentions their whole situation, but you know, it doesn't mention them by name. And so we're we're kind of trying to put it together. And then, and then the SI story publishes. What was it? Uh, like an hour later.
1: <laughs> right. It was <laughs> just the whole the whole timeline of everything was just so funny, and you know, obviously that was the Mavericks trying to get out ahead of the SI story because I assume what had happened is the story's basically been written, and they reached out to Cuban for comment, and so of course that's when he found out about it. Yeah. And you know, in in the course of you know, it's something that we always say on the website, on, M- on Mavs Moneyball, is that it's more important to get it right than to be first. And I think that's a good rule of thumb in journalism in general. I mean, I'm not a full-time journalism person, but in in situations like this, I think it is more important to get it right. And I think by rushing to put out that statement ahead of the story, I understand what Mark was doing there. But he he ultimately had to kind of reissue that statement a couple of times to get it right after the story came out. And, you know, I think maybe a better way to handle that would have been to just take some more time, understand what the details were that were going to come out, and then have a thoughtful response to them, as opposed to having to, you know, revise your story every time. So like, oh, we didn't know the details of this particular person's domestic violence incident. Yeah. Well, clearly, clearly you knew enough of the details to, you know, make him sign a contract and <laughs> yeah, him away from female employees. Yeah. You knew enough details. So you can't say that you didn't know all the details because you knew enough. And so it's just in terms of just how they handled it as a whole, I think, you know, Mark has a lot of self-reflection to do in terms of, you know, how he handles things like this in the future. I think it is on the right track now. I think he's said the right things at this point. And that's, you know, going forward is all you can do in these kinds of situations. So, yes, it was handled poorly at the beginning, but I think it is on the right track to being handled the right way now.
0: I think they probably did as as well as they could have. I mean, knowing just how big this story was. I mean, how do you get in front of something like this? I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, a massive, like...
1: I in think trying, in trying to get in front of it, I think they kind of stepped on their own feet a little bit, which I get, I mean, you know. Yeah. But they, they were trying to be first instead of trying to get it right. And that's, you know, sometimes that can get you.
0: Yeah, I, I had to take a social media class in, in college and it was – mostly just like this is how you tweet and this is how you you know this is what hootsuite is and like stuff like that that i was like i know this already but one of the things
1: was the final exam just one question to which the answer was never tweet
0: (laughs) the final exam was actually a uh a kind of a a pr nightmare situation and you had to handle the the social media platforms and, and the statements from from the from a company and so they they pitched it, they pitched it, and then all of a sudden they started coming up with these scenarios and they were like, Alright, this happens, you run this this thing, and they're giving us these these clues and these scenarios and stuff, and all of a sudden it started getting pieced together like, you know, it started it started piecing all this stuff together and we and I realized like a couple clues in that we were basically being the the PR of Jurassic Park when all the dinosaurs uh-huh. got out. <laughs> and so
1: and well, so in, <laughs>
0: in, in that we like had to issue statements and then if you issue a statement that no one has, has died. And then all of a sudden, like all these people die, you know, like, <laughs> you try to get out in front of something and say something. But if you do it too fast, like you just realize that, you know, you're, you're doing more hurt than you are good. Exactly. At some point. But, and then uh, the last thing I want to get to is something that, that uh, our own Kirk serious face wrote about today. Uh, the Mavericks losing their draft pick. Uh, how ridiculous is that notion?
1: That is extremely ridiculous. It's, you know, I, I saw a lot of like at the very beginning of all of this when it broke, I saw a lot of, you know, like kind of just gen- very general comparisons to the Donald Sterling situation. and you know, Which, didn't even which by their- the way, this is Apple. not like that. No, this is nothing like that. It's comparing apples and I don't know, like candles or something like that. Yeah, it's you know, one one deals with blatant racism, things that affected the team on a daily basis. And this this deals with. Yes, blatant harassment issues, but these are things that, you know, from what we've heard, haven't really affected the team at all. And to to that end, in terms of losing a draft pick, well, why are you altering the competitive nature of the game for for what? I mean, are you trying to financially punish him? You know, you can accomplish that with a fine without hurting the players on the team who are signed contracts, who are financially incentivized to play for this team at this point. And you're arguably hurting them in terms of the competition in, a, in, you know, in taking away a draft pick. You're hurting the fans who pay money to watch this team on a regular basis and, you know, not letting them build a competitive team. And so, you know, I think if you're trying to financially punish him at the end of this, losing a draft pick is not the way to do it. All that does is punish the existing players on the team and the fan base. And that's for, for something like this that has not really affected the team from a basketball perspective. That's not the right punishment, and I don't think that there's any way that they go there.
0: No, and and you're setting a precedent as as a league because more of this is going to come out. They just they we're going to talk about this, but they just talked about a uh, or Woj just tweeted out that they're going to have a national hotline. You know that that's going to be private that you can you know report certain things like this um, huh.
1: to. I'm frankly surprised they didn't have something like that before. I mean most yeah most, most big companies have things like that.
0: Yeah, the, the company that I work for now we have like. I don't know. Less than three hundred people in our company, and we have one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's important to have that. As, even if people don't use it, it's important to have that as a resource because you never know when you're going to be the person who, you know, your boss is the problem, or your boss's boss is the problem, and then who do you go to? And so, it's important to have those kind of resources available to employees. I strongly agree with that.
0: Yeah, because if it's used once, then it is beneficial.
1: Exactly. But, I mean, how much? How, how hard is it really to set up a one eight hundred number? I mean. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Ask all the infomercials really late at night. <laughs> the uh, the But so with that, I, I think more of this is going to come out. I don't want to assume or, or, you know, say that, you know, wish this on any team really, but you, you'd have to think that something else is going to happen or something else is going to come out. Maybe, maybe not currently that uh, someone is currently doing this on a team, but had done it in the past. And if you set the precedent of, okay, so this is what happened with the Mavericks and we're going to remove it. You're going to take away a draft pick. Then what happens if like an owner has come out to be, you know, to have these, you know, sexual harassment or even like what if it's sexual assault, like something even to to the the next level of it, like just what precedent are you setting?
1: Right, exactly. And you can you can't I mean this is the very I don't know if this is the tip of an iceberg. I feel like it probably is because, you know, if this happened in an organization where we all largely thought that the team culture was good from all intents and purposes, you know, you feel like it could easily happen in another organization where we know the ownership is kinda of bad or we know the ownership has done sketchy things in the past or, or you know, whatever. But, you know, I don't know if it's the tip of the iceberg, but you absolutely can't set a precedent. You have to be very careful. And, you know, I think the Mavericks have done the right thing by hiring a respectable, you know, respectable people to run their investigation. They are independent. The NBA seems to agree with the people that they've chosen and is, you know, are, are kind of willing to abide by the results of that. And so you have to kind of see where this goes and then, you know hope that it's not the tip of a bigger iceberg, but at the same time, be careful. And again, like kind of being careful with your initial response so that you're not setting a precedent that you're then bound to.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us and talking about all of this. Uh, what can the people find on mapsmoneyball.com that is, that they should go read.
1: We have a lot of coverage of this. I think we're going to probably have a few more stories coming out, but You know, Bailey Gray has written a great story today talking about, you know, kind of the feeling of betrayal of women around the team that I think is is well worth a read. You know, we've got all of the different timelines of the events and things like that. You know, Kate Crawford wrote an amazing piece talking about um, talking about some of this and Cuban's reaction that I think is still very good, even though it's a little outdated considering he's made some additional statements. But we just we just have this covered from every angle and we're still going to talk about basketball and we are going to keep those separate. I don't think there's any place for these conversations to overlap at this point unless something comes out that a player was affiliated with it. So we'll have all your regular Mavericks coverage that we hope people will still be tuning in for considering, you know, it's hard relationship with the team right now. But we also have plenty of coverage and discussion about this that we're eager to keep going.
0: Yeah, Isaac wrote it, Wrote a piece today on on the smoking Cuban that he'll probably talk about it in this, in the next podcast we do. But that was like the players need your support now more than ever. Kind of and that was kind of the gist of the story. And he got some blowback from it, but I think he's right. Like you know, at this point, like we, we you know we need to still support our guys. And, yeah, uh, because it, they, they didn't they do anything.
1: <laughs> and it's you know, Dirk is still Dirk, and he's still as far as we know, like. God forbid anything ever came out about Dirk. I can't imagine that that would happen. But, I mean, he's still the franchise icon, the good guy. You know, he's already expressed his disappointment about all of this going on. And, you know, I think to it's a hard line with your fandom, with everyone's fandom right now, who's questioning whether or not this is the organization they want to support. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that, you know, Rick Carlisle and Dirk Nowitzki and Harrison Barnes and the guys that we've come to love watch play day in and day out – they're not a part of this and you know, it would be a shame for the team, for the guys who play so hard for this team every day to lose our fans support just because of some back office stuff.
0: Yeah. Most, all of this, this stuff that's been reported happened before Dennis and Harrison Barnes even joined the team. If you put it in that kind of perspective. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on lockdown Mavericks guys. You can get, you can uh, go find Rebecca on Twitter at Becca after six, right?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And uh, you can find me at Nick Van Exit. You can find all of our stuff at MavsMoneyBall.com. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Peace, Peace out. Boom.